1: So, we got to thinking, why did Tom Brady unretire? And the easy answer is because he can play and because he wanted to play again. But here's the thing, Steve Versnick, that I never really got a great answer for or an explanation about. And even his coaches, at least Clyde Christensen anyway, were questioning this. And that is, why did he retire so fast? In other words, Not many days went by from the time that he brought his team back from, you know, what, 24 points or whatever in that playoff game, and they lost on on some bad defense or it would have gone into overtime. Maybe they win, maybe they go to the Super Bowl. And not many days had passed since then before, you know, the reports started to surface that Brady planned to retire, and then Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington came out on a Saturday, and it was all the way until a Tuesday morning uh, which was February 1st, I believe, that Brady then came out and announced that he was, in fact, retiring. And it was still really quick, right? It it, it just it came upon us really fast. And there was no real explanation for sort of why he would... Not, not that he rushed into it. I mean, he played 22 years, so he certainly could have been thinking about it. And I guess... The biggest thing when you talk to his coaches is like it was out of character for him. I guess that's what you would say that, you know, the most surprising thing. This is Clyde Christensen, and I wrote a story about this in the Tampa Bay Times on Sunday at tempe.com. The most surprising thing about him was about him announcing so quickly. That's not what they usually do. They know they're tired. They're physically beat up. They usually wait a month or two, wait, and then decide. It was kind of weird, a little bit out of character for him. And that's what I would agree with no matter what we say after that statement right there. Remember that. It's out of character. And why? Because this is the most prepared player in NFL history. Maybe one of the most prepared athletes in all of sport. I mean, this is a guy that makes sure he gets eight hours sleep, drinks twice his body weight and ounces of water, uh, measures, you know, every morsel of of, uh, of protein, um, you know, how many almonds he eats. Like, he's really anal about this stuff. He he's, he's mapped out. And think about his schedule. Think about the things that he's involved with. Did he have other things he could do outside of football? Absolutely. I mean, the guy could do as much as he wants, right? He's a global brand at this point. So he had a lot of projects and things like that. But what I'm talking about is football. What I'm talking about is... What did he plan to do when he knew there wasn't going to be football in his life, when he was hanging it up after 22 seasons, not just in the fall, but, like, what was his plan? Well, there's a lot of theories. And they started happening almost as soon as he retired. There's a lot of people that well, he's going to go play somewhere else. He wants them to get another quarterback. Then he's going to ask them out of his contract. That was one espoused by a lot of people in San Francisco – was the rumored location, and Mike Florio was admittedly said, you know, I'm I'm just guessing here, but that's what I think is going to happen. There was a lot of talk about a rift between him and Bruce Arians, etc. Well, here's one um, that I think has a little smoke to it. And I I don't know if it's true, but I think it makes sense. Um, and that is, he might have had something going on with the Miami Dolphins at one point. And what I mean by that is not to coach, not to be a GM, but to maybe uh, be part of the ownership group down there and work with Stephen Ross. So you know Steve, huge Michigan guy, right? One of the biggest boosters at Michigan. The
2: business school is named after him up there.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, and so, you know, that, that made sense. And he also has a relationship with one of their minority, minority owners, or a guy that would have possibly become the majority owner if something were to happen to Stephen Ross and something might. Um, and so he had a relationship uh, you know, in, at other levels with the Dolphins. And then the other part of it was, and this was reported by Mike Florio, who talked to two Dolphins sources that confirmed this to him, um, that all they would acknowledge is there had been discussions about him becoming a minority owner brady that is now now the plan was according to mike florio and others that sean payton was going to become the dolphins coach we know sean payton he resigned his position from the new orleans saints i don't know a week before tom brady made his announcement that he was retiring both brady and payton are represented by donald yee the, their friends. They're friends. You know, Donald Yee has two major clients, and they're good ones, Brady and Peyton. The other thing we know is that Brady and his wife, Giselle, bought a huge plot of land for $17 million on Biscayne Bay, the area nickname is Billionaire Bunker, that they were going to then build their eco-friendly mansion in place of the original house. So that's going to be their forever home among all the other homes they all around the world, own around the world. Around the world. So it's just a lot of things that added up. And you say, well, what happened then? Okay. Well, any number of things could have happened. But one of the things that did happen was on the day the day that Brady retired, there was a lawsuit, you know, by Brian Flores um filed against against Ross and against the NFL really, uh, and multiple teams that he had interviewed for for racial discrimination, for a lot of things, but he accused Ross of, you know, offering him a hundred thousand dollars per loss and this sort of thing. Maybe Florio and others suspect that maybe it just got too messy at that point, you know, and the timing was bad. The one thing that the Dolphins did admit was they did try to interview Sean Payton. Chris Greer said that at the Combine, their general manager, that they they were denied a chance to talk to him. Um, But he wouldn't address Brady as as a possible owner, only to say they weren't interested in Brady as their quarterback. My point is, out of all of this, I don't know if any of that is true. I don't have independent sources verifying what Florio has reported, and others, not just Florio. But I do think this. Tom Brady didn't retire without a plan. And there's really nothing that has happened. Now you do need, you know, some guys need time to talk about it and think about it, but nothing has really happened in the off season that is different than most off seasons for him. In other words, he travels a lot, spends a lot of time with his family, um, had an opportunity to do, you know, he's going to do a movie this spring, some other projects. Certainly he's involved with his Brady line, all that stuff. So he's, He's always had a busy business portfolio, but the off season is spent with family predominantly and travel. They do a lot of traveling and he did that. We know he went to Manchester and all that, but I I just feel like 40 days, not a long time to change your mind um, about something that, you know, he had to have been thinking about because again, he's the most prepared athlete of our time. This guy is mapped out minute to minute every day has to be and in 40 days he wanted back in the NFL and that meant back to the Bucks. and so I think something whatever he thought he was going to and look he could have decided you know I'm not done playing I'm just you know I pulled the trigger too early but it just feels like that based on and his father said that he was sort of forced into announcing his retirement before he was ready. We know that Schefter and those guys, you know, jumped the gun at least, you know, forty some forty eight, seventy two hours went by before Brady actually confirmed he was in fact retiring. There's something there there. And I don't know that we'll ever know. I don't know that anyone's gonna admit it. I will say this. I have asked the questions. I have put it out there to people that represent Brady, people that are close to Brady, even wanted a conversation with the Bucks about it. No one, and I mean no one, no one will so much as respond to that request. Forget about saying it's not true or no comment. No one even wants to talk about it. That apparently is Brady's business, and I don't think we'll ever know. I'm sure there are people that do know, but I don't, I don't think it's something that Brady's going to say, you know what, I was going to do X and then Y happened, and so now I'm back with the Bucks. I don't think that's going to ever be the case. But it is interesting. like it wasn't there. that's the part that I never got, was, after 22 years not that you wouldn't have thought about it during all those years, but after 22 seasons, you waited a week, a week and a half, even that, to say, "I'm done forever." And then in 40 days, you change your mind. Very unusual. For Tom Brady, in my opinion.
2: It is unusual. And everything you laid out makes sense. As a possibility. I'm not going to say, I don't know. It's
1: it's just a possibility. We don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We do know that he was not wanting to announce his retirement at the time it was out. True. So part of that planning was he wasn't prepared. And then once it got out, was it a distraction to everything else? Including the Perhaps. Bucks. Yeah. And he's has a good relationship with the Glazers, with Jason Light, Bruce Arians. And because Jason LaComfora and then Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington are reporting it, did he feel he had to do that to help them, to help him, to help many? Because I, I think retirement was definitely a possibility. Sure and and i think you know to me that's what his dad the forced part was although maybe there was that a plan for ownership which would make more sense than trying to force your way out to go to san francisco
1: yeah i never really bought that mm-hmm. on a lot of levels okay um my biggest thing about the whole san francisco thing and i know mike mike was and he admitted he was just you know guessing but he thought that that might happen the little time that I got to know Tom Brady and I don't know him very well, I'll be the first to admit it. I talked to him many times, covered him, I've been around him. The one thing I'll say about Tom Brady is like all great great players like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan who would make things up that no one said as as a, a chip for a chip for his shoulder. I can't believe that Tom Brady as much as he grew up a 49ers fan would love to have been part of the whole Joe Montana, Steve Young quarterbacking hierarchy there. Uh, wear that helmet, wear those colors. Like any kid that grew up rooting for a team. But Tom Brady was passed on by a lot of teams, but but also by the San Francisco 49ers in 2000 when I mean, they drafted Gio Carmazzi, who was a nobody, okay, and never really played. And then, and this is the biggest one, he plays 20 seasons and is going to be a free agent and... As far as I know, the only team that his representatives contacted and said, We'd like to play here. What do you think? Right? Everybody else, I mean, they're all kind of after him, right? Were the San Francisco 49ers. And I've talked to John Lynch about this. It was a discussion. Obviously, Shanahan had it, but they had just come off a of Super Bowl. Garoppolo, I thought, lost that game in the fourth quarter and went 3 of 11. Um, they were at a 10-point lead. They lose to the Chiefs. But they had signed Garoppolo to a big contract. And even if they traded him, they were going to take on a huge amount of dead money. And the other thing were the ages of the players, you know. And the 49ers decided, no, no, we don't want you, Tom Brady. We're going to go with this other dude, the dude that used to back you up in New England. How do you think that felt? Okay? My thing about San Francisco would be this. Do we honestly believe that Tom Brady would give them a third chance to say no to him? A third, a third bite of the apple? No. Hell no. He wouldn't give them up that opportunity. And so, my guess is he was done with the Niners the minute they said we're sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo. That would be, that was the end of his dreams of playing for the Forty ers in my opinion. He was not going to let him say no to him three times. That that's just what I think. I don't know that independently of anything. I'm just from what I understand about Tom Brady. You're not going to tell him no again. You're going to get one chance, maybe two. Uh, and that was a big one back, you know, back in. Uh,
2: well, and even when, when, and Brady, you know, look, the Niners passed him up in the draft. Yeah, but obviously, you know all the people, the, GM did, including well, yeah. New England. Yeah. But yeah. the GM, John Lynch, the coach, all that—none of those people were there back then.
1: That's correct.
2: But two years ago, all those people were.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: This being the second, I mean, if you can, if, in Brady's mind, if you can kind of go, okay, the first time, I'll give you another chance because none of you were there. But now, it's the same people that turned you down.
1: Same people who then went out and drafted a quarterback and spent three number ones on Presumably Trey Lance.
2: That MF-er.
1: yeah, that kept the Yeah, and kept that guy. That's who I always thought he was. So, yeah, I, I don't see – I never saw Brady going to San Francisco for a, a ton of reasons, but mostly why would you give them that chance to say no to you again? Like that would be the ultimate, right? They, they had their chance. It was going to cost them nothing, no draft picks, nothing. And they told you no. So, yeah, I, I I never saw that. But I did see him staying in football. You know, I don't think Tom Brady's going to be out of football. Whenever he's done actually throwing the ball and playing, he's not going to be a coach. He's not going to be a GM. Those jobs take way too much time and energy. But will he like to be part of a team in some aspect where he can hire the guys or have a say in who they hire or the coach perhaps or work closely and identify, you know, he's, I think Tom Brady's always going to want to be a part of a team, not just his team, but like, you know, something in some connection to the NFL. And I see that in an organization. I could see him doing that, especially with a guy like Steven Ross, you know, who's Mr. Michigan. So that makes sense to me at least, you know, given what all the other things he has on his plate, all the other projects, Wanting to be available for his kids, like you can, you can't do those NFL jobs. You can do more with a GM than you can as a coach, but you really can't do those jobs in forty hours. You know, you're not getting any weekends off. Um, It's fifty weeks a year. Believe, trust me, I do this for a living. It's fifty weeks a year, so I don't see Tom locking himself. But from an ownership standpoint, where you can assemble your team of GMs or coaches or have a say. Absolutely, I see that. And I see it in Miami because of where he's going to live. Um, so a lot of that makes sense to me. Again, don't have any proof. No one wants to talk about it, I can tell you that. Um, and so it's it's interesting to me. But it doesn't matter because he's back now. He's going to play. And we think he's going to play for one year. We don't know. He's got one year under his contract. They'll probably add an extra year as they did last season for salary cap purposes at some point. And he's not going to play for $10 million, so they've got put some of that deferred signing bonus back in it. Here's what I don't th- I don't think he's going to play beyond this year. I-, I wouldn't think you could count on that. He retired once, likely to do it again. You can't expect him to play in 2023, even if he'll have a contract there. Oh, but if you're a Bucks season ticket pass holder, if you're season pass holder for the first time, and yes, they have tickets, as you can imagine, because Brady retired once and then the renewals went out and they used to be all sold out and then they weren't. The Bucs came up with a policy over the last few days that if you're a new season, you know, they had a waiting list because remember last year they were sold out, so they had a waiting list. they started going to the waiting list, people, and said, listen, got great news. You can buy a season pass. And if you want to do it, we have tickets available. But here's the catch. You have to commit to not only this year when Brady is here, but to also 2023. You have to commit to 2 years. You don't have to pay it all at once, but you got to commit to season tickets for 2 years, not just one. Isn't that something? That that's what? taking the hammer and using it a little bit.
2: That's almost like a personal seat license at this point.
1: It, it basically is. I was I, I, mean, I asked not the same,
2: but it's kind of
1: it's close. I asked the uh, I asked Brian Ford, the COO uh, of the Bucks, "Have you ever done this before? Have you ever required multiple seasons to be committed to he said no the last time i remember it is exactly what you said when raymond james stadium was being built they had they sold psls to help finance the stadium Mm -hmm. and you had to make a 10-year commitment 10 years and i did personally because i thought it'd be hypocritical of me to say hey i really hope the bucks stay and then not have my money where my mouth was plus i had a young son that liked football and so we bought two season tickets and kept them and and had them for 10 years so my family could go. But mostly so you could support the building a new stadium so they wouldn't go to Baltimore or someplace else. And that was the only time I could Those were PSLs, right? This are season pass commitments. The other thing they did was they said, if you're going to buy tickets in the lower bowl, you have to show a Florida ID license. And we need it three days before tickets go on sale, which is this Wednesday. So that one is in an attempt at least to, you know, keep Bill's mafia and other fan bases from just taking over the stadium.
2: Well, the lightning have done that with tickets before Uh, a lot. There's Mm -hmm. actually Nashville teams have done that. There's other teams that have, that's not, yeah, that's That's not not an uncommon thing. It's not, yeah, it's not unique.
1: Yeah. And it's also not related to the first thing, which is, you know, now Brian Ford came out with a statement and said, listen, Here's how we're going to spin it. He didn't say that, but this is basically the spin that they have put on it is we're trying to create the best competitive environment for our team as we can. And so if we can get people committed for more than one season and then also guarantee that they're Florida people, residents, that's a better atmosphere for our players and our fans and more competitive atmosphere that's just ensuring that we have the most Bucks fans in the building. Mm, okay. I'm buying about a third of that. It, it, it's, you're ensuring that you have a full building. Let's be honest. You're saying we got Tom Brady this year. Heaven knows what's going to happen a year from now. And when people found out Tom Brady had retired, our full stadium was no longer full. So we're dipping into our waiting list. And we're saying, well, we got him back. It's a miracle, but let's use it and try to get two years out of the new people instead of just one so that when he goes away, if he retires again, and we don't think he'd quit and come back twice, if he retires again and we're looking at Blaine Gabbard or Kyle Trask, we got a full building or we got a commitment to people in a full building. So it's a business thing. I mean, it's, and I had people text me, it's just good business. It is good business.
2: It's good it business is. if you have enough people sign up. Right. If it but, turns enough people away, then it's not good business. It?
1: Right. It could turn some people off. I could see that. But, you know, it, it's really just taking advantage of the situation. It's just basically saying, yeah, well, you know, you it want is. To see Tom Brady.
2: <clears throat> Although I could see it almost backfire. You it,
1: could think it, it'll and, turn people off and they say, I can't, I can't uh, afford two years of a Well,
2: I, I think there'll be some of that. But, yeah. Okay, I'm on the hook for two years of tickets now. Yeah. I am have no guarantee of what that team's going to look like next year. Nope. Particularly at quarterback. Or coach. So, Kansas City Chiefs are coming in this year. The Green Bay Packers. I can sell two games uh, of tickets. I see
1: you. Yep. And pay for you. next
2: year's tickets. I feel you. And all of a sudden, there's more of the opposing team in the in the bowl.
1: That's a great point. I mean, that is an outstanding. You see point. that with
2: the Lightning. There's. I know some season ticket holders that. Holy sell, cow!
1: How many Ranger? How many yeah. Ranger fans were in the building the other night?
2: They'll sell five or six games and pay for their season tickets.
1: Yep, Bucks do it too. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: You know, and that are you going to see more of that? That I'll sell two or three games this year. To make sure, or to pay for my tickets for next year,
1: absolutely. And it's the kind of schedule you could do it this year. Mm-hmm. You got big teams coming in. Oh. That,
2: that will bring fans.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I th- I think it's a great point, and I could it could blow them up. But you know what? The competitive part, I think, is window dressing. I think it's eyewash. No, it's a narrative. You can buy it or not. But like you said, if. If it makes people more prone to sell their tickets because they know they can, it's a better schedule and they could pay for next year's too. They don't care. Here's the thing: they don't care. They don't. They they prefer. They prefer
2: you didn't sell them, but
1: they prefer it. But they can't listen. And this is not unique to them. The secondary markets of these of this product is through the roof. You know, it just is. Football is king. The NFL is king. Well, and bucks.
2: Each, each league has their own secondary market. They prefer they you do. to sell it through whatever that's their affiliates, right. Ticketmaster or StubHub or whatever. Every team has a, has a or league, uh, in, in, as far as the pros do, have an affiliation. Right. And on their own website, you can buy secondary tickets because they, right. they get a sliver of that.
1: They get a sliver, but they don't get, like, in other words, yeah, it's but their But you've already product, bought the tickets, plus
2: it. you get a sliver of the aftermarket when you sell it through theirs.
1: Right, but what they would love to have is the secondary market itself, well, and that's sure. what they don't have. Sure. They can't stop people from using it, and they don't really get the full profit of it. It's their product. So if they sell you a seat for $1,000 and you sell it for $3, you are keeping the 2 mm-hmm. minus whatever fee. Um, so you know, they know their product is worth more than you're buying it for, and, and that's why they have variable pricing and things like this. But you're absolutely right. Next year, year of all years, if I'm a season ticket holder for the first time, I'm pretty sure that I can sell two of these games, right? Be it Green Bay, or I don't know the Rams, or Kansas City. Um, you could easily finance a year of your season tickets through a couple of those games. So, but it was interesting. Um, Bucks never, never failing to work the angles here.
0: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: We had a lot of action. Uh, We'll get to the ice, but man, the Tampa Bay Lightning are changing their team before the trading deadline, which is today. If you
2: weren't sure what uh, Julian Broussard and John Cooper and the management over at the Lightning thought of their team, you do know now. Uh huh. That they have not have a complete answer to replace that Gord goudreau Coleman line. Mm hmm. They weren't gritty enough. weren't heavy enough. weren't physical enough. Mm hmm. If you missed it, they've traded. Two first-round draft picks, Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, for Brendan Hagel and two fourth-round draft picks. Now, Brendan Hagel, if you remember back to Coleman and Goodrow, when the, uh, the Bolts traded for them, they gave up first-round draft picks, and for Coleman, they also gave up a, first, a former first-round pick. They had an extra year left on their contract at a very friendly rate. Barkley-Goodrow was around $900,000, like, Coleman was like $1.8 Brendan Hagel has two more years after this year left at $1.5 million. And at that time, he's only a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. So you could have – you essentially have control of him for five years, thus the heavy price you paid. to give You gave up Kachuk and Radish, who good players and are going to get a bigger shot in Chicago. Matter of fact, yeah. Taylor Radish was on the first power play unit on Saturday. His first game there. Uh, But you bring in Brendan Hagel, who... Think of him kind of like a Blake Coleman. Maybe not quite as polished scoring-wise. But he's kind of in that mold. Then the Lightning aren't done. Because on Sunday night, they trade Matthew Joseph. To get Nick Paul from the Senators. A 6'4", 230-pound center. Or forward. He also plays wing. Who's really heavy, physical? Goes gets pucks in the corners. Great at forechecking, puck retrieval. So you've added him to the roster now, and with no cap space, they managed to do this because Kachuk and Radish's salaries essentially equaled Brendan Hagel. I think they saved sixteen thousand against the cap on that, but then Ottawa retained most of, or forty-four percent of Nick Paul's salary. So the Lightning are. Completely at zero money left on the cap. And they've added two forwards with that more size, more grit, more the stuff you talk about in the playoffs. As Julian Breezewell said on Sunday night, you know, I like our team a lot, but I like our team better now than I did three days ago Come for, the, for the playoff run. Now, Nick Paul will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Matthew Joseph was going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the season. And as Julian Breezewell explained why the trade was made, in part was Matthew Joseph is a restricted free agent, but he has arbitration rights. And that salary was probably going to be higher than the Lightning could afford for next season based on their cap situation with, uh, I believe, Braden Points getting a huge raise and, and, and several others. And so if you're not going to qualify him an offer because you, you don't have the, the salary certainty, they did that with Jonathan Marsha show years ago, is they didn't qualify him an offer because they thought his salary and arbitration would be too high, which is why they let him go. So if you're not going to qualify him an offer, which the Lightning probably weren't, then he was an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year too. So swapping one unrestricted free agent for another doesn't hurt you long-term on the team. And you got heavier, you got bigger. Uh, Nick Paul's probably going to play wing, but he can play center as well.
1: Well, Hagel, I mean, on paper and otherwise, and we only saw him a brief time and he had no practice and he jumped right in, he obviously is is a good player. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got 21 goals this year. 21 goals already this season, yeah, I was going to say. And he can play anywhere. He can can help you on the power play, the penalty kill, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, you know, He's a he's kind of a of a Swiss Army knife in that in that sense. I measure here, here's the thing I would ask about this, and and you just said they they got him in control, which is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. But they asked they asked Hegel this, and and I I think you find out what your worth is is what somebody will, will give up for you. Two number one picks, mm-hmm. and and two young players that were playing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's a lot of compensation now. What Breeze Boss said is, well, look, we're hoping those two picks are, like, at the bottom of, of the first round. Yeah, I mean, What's you've got two
2: fourth rounds from Chicago. You gave up two firsts. hmm You're hoping that it's late, late first rounds and earlier fourth rounds. So exactly. they're not quite three rounds apart. Maybe it's two and a half rounds apart. Right, right. And, and most of the time, the NHL is, is kind of a – crap. after you get out of the top 15 picks – some will say there's not a lot of difference between late first round and, say, third round picks. They're cra- I mean, it's it's kind of like baseball where, you know, those players aren't going to be up right away. It's going to take several years for them to get there. And a lot happens in those years. Development-wise and, and playing in minors or college and juniors and, and you know, which players put in the work, which ones don't. Sometimes it depends on the organization you're at, et cetera. So I think the Lightning are kind of hoping that, you know, hey, we can turn those fourth-round picks, maybe they're going to be earlier fourth-round because Chicago's still building, and, and turn them into, I mean, the Lightning have, have a history of turning in later picks of being really good players.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
2: now, the other thing I was told is that 2023 is m- projecting to be maybe the best NHL draft class in more than a decade, and those late first-round picks may be more valuable than you think in that draft. I'm not an expert on that, but I was told by someone who knows more about that stuff than I do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they gave up a lot for him. And here's the other thing I'll say about, um, I know how good a player that they're getting rid of based on my daughter's reaction. <laughs> and so they were okay with radish. and I mean, they like they kachuk like and radish. They were like, well, they played. But when I told them they traded Matthew Joseph, Mm-hmm. That created some whelps in the back of the yelps in the back of the car. They were like, no. So Matthew Joseph is, you know, was was at least their fan, their fan favorite. No, but. He
2: helped them he was part of winning two cups. I mean
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and look, it's not that the Lightning don't like any of those two. They players. like them, yeah. And katrook and Radish could end up being better players than Brendan Hagel long term. Mm-hmm. This is purely about winning a cup this year
1: making and history, and yep.
2: and next year too with the the cost certainty for Hagel as well for the next two years and the Nick Paul one it's about what's going to help us win a cup this year we're going for three in a row and they if if you weren't sure they were all in they're all in
1: yeah for sure
2: and if they if the the trade deadlines today at three and if you look around the the Eastern Conference and they're they're competing against uh, Toronto added mark Giordano Defensive and a, and a forward, Blackwell.
1: How about Florida?
2: Claude Giroux. But uh, mm-hmm. um, well, they added the the defenseman, and the name's escaping me right now. Um, but they—they're all them. beefing up. Yeah, yeah. the, the whole—I mean, uh, you know, Boston's adding. I mean, everybody is adding. I mean, the Atlantic Division. I, I saw I saw a, uh, a hockey beat writer in Canada say, "The Atlantic Division is the AL East." Yeah. I mean, you look at what Florida, Toronto, Boston, and Tampa are doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they may end up – those four teams may end up as the top eight or nine teams in hockey by the end of the season. And they're all in the same division.
1: And I'll give you another team. They played them the other night that's really good, mm-hmm. and that's the New York Rangers. And it's a shame – listen, the Lightning have, have got to stop the penalties. They have to stop.
2: It's becoming a problem.
1: I mean, the one that cost them the game was kind of bad luck. It wasn't obviously intentional as a high stick, but it was, you know, just kind of happenstance in a sense. But you can't, you can't get six and seven a game. I mean, you're taking your best players off the ice for 14 minutes, Mm -hmm. and I mean, their penalty kill was amazing. Like it was amazing, and it starts with Vasilevsky, obviously, but. They just continue to hurt themselves, and it's got to stop. I mean, it just has to stop.
2: On the road trip, they took way too many penalties. Oh. And it continued Saturday night against New York.
1: Yeah. And that's something you can control, right? I mean, that's one thing you can say, we're not going to spend time in the box tonight.
2: Well, uh, look, there are some penalties that sometimes a stick happens to hit somebody. I mean, you're not trying to. Yeah. But running into the goalie. Yeah. Tripping hooking uh what was it um, one delay a I, um, <laughs> well delay a game yeah sure but i mean one of the penalties it was a bad turnover and then you had to go hook them on the way back down the ice because they're in a yeah. way i mean yeah. those are the things that you can't you know those are what you've got to cut out as you're getting close to the playoffs yeah. you can't do that in the playoffs no you know i mean it's like in football i mean you know the false start penalties You can't have
1: pre-snap stuff. Yeah. I
2: mean, occasionally you're going to get a hold or, Mm uh, you know, I mean, things happen in the course of a play. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, 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 the egregious one. You're, you know, you're in the offensive zone and you're, you're, you know, creating a penalty that has no impact on the play interference. And you're in the offensive zone. What are you doing? You know, it's those, you know, but sometimes a penalty happen. I mean, they're going to happen in a game. it's, it's 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 about situation and the types of penalties you're taking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You
2: know, if you don't make a turnover at the blue line, then you don't need to go hook the guy down the ice.
1: Right, right.
2: You know, it's it's things like that. You know, it's 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 the situation of it. It's you know, taking a penalty that's that basically prevents a possible goal, that may be okay. Taking a penalty in the offensive zone when you're trying to score a goal, not good. You know, there's situations for it, just like in football or you know any sport basketball as well you know why foul a guy shooting a 40-foot jumper but he's about ready to dunk on you and you can foul and stop him in a close game you might do that
1: yeah i just think that they've got some bad habits that they have to clean up before they get to the postseason Mm -hmm. and now they got a couple new players that they have to integrate so there's some work to do but i will tell you the two Um, goalies
2: on saturday night were fantastic
1: unbelievable And, and that game that game to me steve felt like a playoff game it did and and here's the other thing and you can't get away from this the game was on. Um, ABC. I think it was on ABC. You
2: know, the last time the Lightning were on ABC, no. Game seven of the two thousand and four Stanley Cup.
1: That long?
2: Well, ESPN just got the rights back. This oh, they year. just it's got been it on back. NBC yeah, that's since true. the Mouse didn't have it for yeah. It, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, it was it was a decent broadcast. Although mm-hmm. Mark Messier was you know openly rooting for the Rangers from from the the drop of the puck. That aside, the one they said a couple things that I i thought were interesting one was of course it felt like a playoff game and i said duh everybody that plays the lightning this is their playoff game right mm-hmm. but they've swept they i mean they didn't lose to the lightning this year they were 2-0-1
2: but the lightning's intensity felt like a playoff game too
1: but it felt like right i was gonna say both both teams played that way and it, it was it was really entertaining um again too many penalties for the lightning that I, that's obviously why they're They take one with Two minutes and 15 seconds to go, and the guy scores with, like, 16 seconds. Uh, that's the game winner. The you know, the they, shame that was, they were
2: really good that whole penalty kill, too, that one.
1: Oh, they were, yeah. But and the one that time, one it was, was a terrific over, it was, shot.
2: It was a perfect pass and shot. I mean, yeah. credit yeah. the Rangers I mean, the, I, on their sixth power. They have the second-best power play in hockey. It took yeah. them their sixth power play a minute 59 in before they scored.
1: And I don't know how you stopped that because he threaded the pass and it was, it was a beautiful shot.
2: But but the minute 50 leading up to that and that penalty kill, that was fantastic, by the way. It man. was
1: great, yeah. The other thing they said is that this Rangers team is built like the lightning. Like the template is very similar, intentionally so. I don't know if that's true or not.
2: I think you see a lot of teams that are.
1: Not a ton of superstars, right? Mm-hmm. But just the pieces fit together, right? And great goal to, I mean, it starts, I mean, it starts with the guy that's going to win the best, not probably, I don't, like we've said, no. I don't.
2: I, I would disagree with the Lightning on not having a lot of superstars, but.
1: Well, they do, yeah, they do. But, I mean, but in the beginning, was Braden Point that guy?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they've grown up together a lot. I mean, this team, yeah. you know, Stamkos and Hedman are a little bit older, but the, the Kucherovs yeah. and the Palats and the. Yeah, you know, I mean, they came. Alex Kalorn, Kalorn, they've all grown up together, and then the next wave of uh, Vasilevsky and Point, and yeah, you know, but they've grown up together. Yes, I mean, they didn't. It's not like this was a dream team that you you traded for and signed for agent wise and put together. I mean, Mm -hmm. the core of this grew up together. That's right. Uh, A lot of them, you know, when you go back to Palat and Kalorn and, and Kucherov and Tyler Johnson, you know, were with Cooper in the AHL. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, they've grown up that far back. Right. You know, yes. In, in that regard, yeah. I mean, as, as the beginning of it and the Rangers are hopefully they're at the beginning, you know, they're hoping the beginning of a long run for them that they've done that. So, yeah, if you're going to say in that regard, yes, I agree.
1: Well, pretty good start with that goaltender, though.
2: Yeah. Igor Shosturkin, he's going to win the Vesna this year. Yeah. Uh, he's been fantastic. I, I still think they like new shiny things.
1: Yeah, you're I mean, always looking for the next guy, right? I
2: mean I think Vasilevsky still leading the NHL and wins again. Mm-hmm. Um but you know. I I, I think if you ask Vasilevsky, he'll care more about the uh the trophy that, that, that's, that's at the end thing. of the year. How do you, that, how do
1: you get away from the fact that the guys won two Stanley Cups? Oh, and by the way, in playoff ga- in in elimination games, I don't know that he's allowed a goal yeah. in two years. I'll tell you why. You know? Number one BS. Number one BS. <laughs> Number one BS absolutely other oh,
2: guy wins a vesna number one bs
1: hey joe <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no i i agree but it was it was great hockey we enjoyed it right up until the point <laughs> where they took that i said when they took the penalty i said oh well this is great because now you're going to have 16 seconds when this thing is over if you kill it off you're going to overtime um which is probably it would have interesting to see who won the three on three if they if they maybe scored there but so it was a busy week of sports. I mean, it was a weekend, and then we had uh, your your Michigan Wolverines beating uh, my darling of the NCAA tournament, the Tennessee Balls. That was disappointing if you're uh, if you know anything about Tennessee. Good group of players. Well, it's really very
2: typical for Rick Barnes, though, who hasn't been it, out of the first yeah. weekend since uh,
1: 2008. I didn't realize that. I, I knew it. He was at Texas for a long time, mm-hmm. but he never made it very very deep into the uh, the postseason. So that was disappointing. But Michigan played – and you know this Michigan team. They hadn't won two in a row, I think, since early February.
2: They were a top-ten team to start the season. Right. No, they lost some guys, but they got Hunter Dickinson back, who's their best player. And they have—they had some freshmen, and then they, they had a really good recruiting class, but they also had a tr- transfer point guard. And that—and the team just never really gelled right. Like, they just never could put it together for consistently this season. And, and they were expected to be a really good team at the beginning. They have – A lot of good wins this year, but they have some bad losses, too. Yeah. And it was just kind of an up-and-down season. And, and, you know, even in the Big Ten tournament, they had a 17-point lead in the second half against Indiana and blew it. Mm -hmm. And that's why they end up with an 11 seed. But they beat Colorado State at a bad first half, dominant second half. Mm -hmm. Against Tennessee, they were trailing at the half, but then dominate the second half again. Yeah. And, And they made the Sweet 16 for the fifth straight time.
1: There's no fluke. That That's a good Tennessee team. They didn't mm-hmm. shoot it very well, but I think Michigan had a lot to do with that. And I thought the most poignant moment so far of the tournament had nothing to do with what happened on the floor. It was after the game. This kid, Kennedy Chandler, who's a phenomenal mm-hmm. uh, point guard for uh, Tennessee, he's probably going to go to the NBA after his freshman year, I would guess. I don't know. Um, he's projected he was, to
2: be a late first-round pick at this
1: point. Yeah, he he was he was inconsolable. I mean – upset about Mm -hmm. the loss and i think if you're in that arena if you're in that business you understand how when they get to the tournament how these guys put everything on the line i mean they you know every possession they fight for it was a very physical game these referees are letting a lot of things go and there were two teams that had you know big men that uh that that like to bang and so there were no easy baskets and so you put everything out there and you know Michigan's coach Howard had been suspended for the final five games for you know the the handshake that became you know a a, a confrontation and but what you saw was Kennedy Chandler they going through the receiving line you know the mm-hmm. congratulatory line after the game and Chandler just falls apart, but he falls apart not in the arms of his coach Rick Barnes, but Howard has to console him and that moment was so like raw and so and so real mm-hmm. that you saw another side of Howard. You know what I mean? Well, and Not-
2: and Howard ha- recruited him.
1: Yes. But he also yes.
2: played with his son in AAU ball.
1: That's right. So he's Knew known him, him well. for a long time. He has a relationship. That's right. Mm-hmm.
2: And it- you know, and that's you know, isn't that what a coach is supposed to? I mean, you know, as yes. much as it's amazing how in 2 to 3 weeks Howard has made news over a handshake line but for two different reasons
1: for two completely and one is more indicative of who he is than the other right you
2: hope so and and it's in all indications are yes it is but i think it is i
1: mean it was it was a bad moment and one that you'd never want to see him repeat but again the in both instances it's just the the level of competition the sacrifice what those guys do uh and the understanding by both by both of him under you know having been a player and now a coach and him knowing what that kid poured into it and Chandler's relationship with him even though he's an opposing coach um that he felt comfortable enough to consoling him like that it it was it got me because uh, to me that's what that's all about right it's about competition it's about sportsmanship it's about understanding what the other guy he he lays it on the line for his team you lay it on the line for your team and then somebody's got to win and somebody's going to lose and you got to have that sort of respect and understanding of what they put out there. I thought it was a great moment. I, I it's one that I'm not going to forget anytime soon cuz I and I got to watch Tennessee cuz I you know got fortunate enough to cover the SEC tournament. I really really liked their team. They were a balanced team. This was no fluke. Michigan outplayed them and and they beat a team that's as that's as physical and 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 had great scores and and great experience and guys that had played together for 2 and 3 years. Um That's a big win, and I don't know if Michigan can make it, you know, to the Elite Eight, Final Four, all that. Maybe. I mean, maybe. They they beat one of the better teams in the tournament. Well, if you would have asked
2: at the beginning of the year, you would have predicted Michigan as being one of those teams that could win it all. Yeah. No, the season didn't play out that way for them.
1: But that's the other thing. When you get to the tournament.
2: But they have talent. Mm -hmm. When
1: you get to the tournament, if you have talent, it washes everything else you've done away. It's about right now, you know. Right now, the bigger stage, the brighter the lights. Who's going to perform? And and so it doesn't matter what they went through. The last five games, they didn't have their coach. They went through adversity. Didn't matter. Hadn't won two games since early February in a row. Doesn't matter. That's what I love about the tournament.
2: How about St. Peter?
1: Oh my goodness! They're the Cinderellas of this of this uh, Sweet Sixteen.
2: I mean, you know, Thursday was St. Peter's Day.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was. We're I had to look off up Kentucky. where they were from. A then, bunch of New Jersey kids, right? Is that where they're from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Summer,
2: a uh, New Jersey team. What has not been to the Sweet Sixteen, right, since 1990? Jeez. I may have the year wrong. No, I think it's a little later than that. Do you know what that New Jersey team was? And do you know who was on the court for that team? No. It was Seton Hall, and it's St. Peter's Coach Holloway.
1: Oh, wow. That's a great story.
2: The last time a New Jersey team made the Sweet 16.
1: That's phenomenal. Great story. Great story. Well, it's what we love about the tournament, man. Um, And it's been good so far. There's been a lot of close games. I'll tell you who didn't fare well was the SEC. And, and, you know, it starts with Kentucky losing and Coach Cal saying maybe they should have eight or maybe even nine teams in the tournament. Yeah, well who's left <laughs> uh not not such a good good run by uh by the sec basketball so big Ten's doing well
2: well and, and now you can forget where true tv is on your uh tv for another year now that's but right true is yeah, i think it's true. done after this weekend so
1: it was was hard to find the games but we've gotten through it all so yeah um Big big week coming up. Of course, the Rays are playing games. That's that's yeah. Fun. I was at
2: two spring training games over the weekend, Friday and and Sunday. Yeah. So
1: you're doing Pirates games, right?
2: Yeah, I'm doing doing some work for the Pirates this spring training. Mm-hmm. So I was in uh, Bradenton Friday, was in uh, Dunedin on Sunday. So I'll be in uh, Port Charlotte bat, today. Pop of the globe, yeah. yeah, I'll be in Port Charlotte today for Pirates race. So.
1: That'll be good. Yeah. Baseball is starting uh, just another couple of weeks, right?
2: Not yeah, two and a half weeks.
1: Two and a half. Yeah. yeah.
2: Baseball's back. The Valspar was this week, and beautiful weather for the tournament.
1: Gorgeous weather. Had a uh, repeat winter, uh, this time in extra holes. Yes. Gronk was out there.
2: Gronk, Pat Maroon. There was a lot of lightning players, including Matthew
1: Joseph, who's now traded. Matthew <laughs> Joseph probably found out he was <laughs> traded while he was out there. Big crowds, too, and, and mm-hmm. rightfully so, because it was, uh, it was as good a weather as you could hope for this weekend. Yeah, we were the, we were the hub of a lot of sports, man. It was uh, it was a good weekend. Oh, and and
2: so, we haven't even discussed the NFC South strikes out on Deshaun Watson. Or yeah, well,
1: you know what? We should talk about Deshaun Watson yeah. tomorrow a little bit. I got some thoughts on him and about and about football in general, um, and about the NFL because the NFL had a couple things happen to it um, that occurred. Watson being one. An injury to a Michigan player at a combine. Yeah, David Ajabo.
2: Over. Ooh, that doesn't yeah. look good.
1: And and I got thoughts about sort of, we got to see, the emperor has no clothes when it comes to the NFL at this point. They, it was very revealing, those two things. And we'll talk about those maybe tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland uh, Browns. And, oh, by the way, they opened their checkbook. And they guaranteed him. More money than any player in the history of the game. And a lot of people have a problem with that.
2: And they made the contract, so the first year, presumably he may get suspended for part of it. It's
1: minimum. It's a million dollars, and so it's not going to cost him virtually anything. Yeah, just, just incredible. And some fans, rightfully so, bailing ship up there in Cleveland and others saying, well, any team, any number of teams would have done it, maybe even including the Bucks. Um They didn't have to face that choice because Tom Brady unretired, but, you know, they certainly were, were part of it. I've never seen a player, any player since I've been covering the NFL, have as much leverage as Deshaun Watson had for a guy with 22 civil suits that he's facing and and a sort of conduct that, frankly can't be excused so yeah it's just uh it's been a it's been a weird weekend from that standpoint so we'll talk about that this week gonna be good uh, appreciate you guys listening and later this afternoon i'll be at one buck place or the advent Healthcare center to have what's going to be our first sort of in-person news conference chris godwin who signed that long-term extension will be there with jason light we did these Outdoors uh, a year ago but this will be indoors from what I understand so no testing in the NFL uh, from COVID, no protocols that sort of thing so I think we're getting back to normal I don't know if the locker room is going to be open later in the season or not but this will be unique for us we'll get a chance to talk to Chris and um, his thoughts and how he's doing with rehab and the knee and all that stuff so look forward to checking that out on the Tampa Bay Times and in Tampa Bay dot com. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day everybody.